Hi, everybody. I'm Michael Eisner. Today we have Ash... Uh, is it Flynn? Flynn, yeah. Ashley Flynn. Uh, okay, right on. Ashley Flynn. Uh, he's from... He's from Perth, Australia. He's 25 years old. He lives in Perth, Australia. Uh, he comes from a traditional middle-class family, parents together, plenty of friends and relatives, no real family drama, top student in primary school, high school achiever, um, middle of the pack in university, graduated with a Bachelor of Physiotherapy, and is now working in a private practice in Perth, Australia. So you're a physiotherapist. That's awesome. Yeah. Really cool. Very cool. Yeah, yeah a little bit. And, uh, and probably really, um, really helpful that you've been through all you've been through. I mean, you probably have an education that, uh, well, maybe no other physiotherapist has. So, Yeah, it's a bit more in-depth, and you learn a lot more about what they teach you. Nowadays, they're teaching some of this stuff, and it makes more sense, but they've still got a way to go, which is great. Right. So I've got a bit ahead of the curve, but I can still work evidence-based. Right. Which is nice. That's amazing. Yeah. And yeah. you're so young, so yeah. <laughs> you got you got a lot of long ways to go and it's really exciting. So you are free of inflammation with an AS diagnosis. Yeah, correct. That's incredible. So I mean we're here today obviously to find out how you did it and and to hear more about your story. Um so let's go right into it and begin by um, how old you were when your symptoms began? Looking back at it, I think I remember when I was about 16 years old, I was playing basketball at high school and I was getting some sharp back pain. So, and that was just in my lower back. I went and saw a physio. He did some manipulation, told me my vertebrae was out by a couple of centimeters, went back and I was fine for a little while. Uh, but then about probably two years later, um, I was at the gym and a similar kind of thing happened where I got a sharp pain. It's called the piriformis, but it's essentially just through the glute there. Um, middle of the glute, just got a really sharp pain, thought I'd torn a muscle. So I went back to the same physio. He said I'd torn my physio, um, strained my piriformis and we did some rehab stuff. I was getting a little bit of back pain, but because of the area that that's in, often hip pain and back pain can be interrelated. Um, so I went through that and I was getting a lot of pain through that area Again, I'd seen this physio before, he'd treated me, he did a really good job, um, but this one wasn't quite getting better. So I went and saw another physiotherapist who my friend recommended to me, and I was only about 18, 19 years old. I'd just started at uni, so I wasn't too aware of everything going on. I went and saw this other physio, and he did some fantastic work as well, and he was working with me about meditation and breathing and mm. relaxing and doing all these exercises but it was still not quite right. Um, I'd still get the pain. I'd still have problems. And around this time, 19 or 20, I was really getting affected by it. So I'd withdrawn from playing basketball because I just wanted to get on top of it, wanted to sort it out. And probably withdrawing from basketball was the worst thing I could have done because it took me a while to get back into it. Okay. So I was seeing this other physiotherapist and I got recommended a chiropractor, which if a physio goes to see a chiropractor, it's quite strange. That doesn't happen too often. Um, and I went and saw this chiropractor and he'd give me relief. But again, three days later, I'd get maybe two or three days later, I'd get the pain straight back. Mm. And it's quite frustrating and you learn to just kind of deal with it. Um, and then in my, so this would have been my second year of uni, I was writing an assignment on ankylosing spondylitis. 
And my dad turns around and says, hey, you know, your grandfather had that. And that was like, okay, that's pretty weird. I better go check with the doctor. I went and saw the doctor. He ran some x-rays and some blood tests. The blood test, the HLA-B27 came back positive, but the C-reactive protein, ESR were all negative, uh, and the x-rays were clear at that stage. So he kind of shunned that off and said, look, it's most likely run-of-the-mill back pain, continue to get treatment for it. So that kept on happening. I was taking some anti-inflammatories. I kind of forgot about the diagnosis altogether. I was still getting pain. Wait, but so I you, were you diagnosed at that point? Not at that point. Okay. So you forgot, I was still going. Meaning you like just gave up on getting diagnosed. Yeah, I kind of thought, well, the doctors said it's not ankylosing spondylitis. And again, this is a doctor. I still see them regularly. He's a fantastic doctor. But he said, look, the x-rays came back negative. The blood test came back negative. It's probably not this. And was so this I went, a rheumatologist? Uh, no, this was just a general practitioner. Okay, okay. Um, and he didn't. Ha- he had my father's details, but didn't have my grandfather's details. And I'm sure if he had the grandfather's details, and I probably needed to say that I had a, my grandfather, but he kind of thought, no, nah, it's not a big issue. So I went and saw, I was seeing another physiotherapist, and I eventually I got fed up and went and saw, went to go see one of the specialists in WA, even in Australia in regards to back pain, because he was a lecturer at the university and he would have known the most. And at this point, the pain was jumping from my right SI joint to my left SI joint to my right SI joint. Uh, I was getting a bit of rib pain as well. Apart from that, nothing really in my ankles, knees, and wrists. Uh, I've had dodgy ankles forever. Knees were fine. Dodgy ankles from rolling them all the time. Um, I went and saw this other physiotherapist, and he did some good work with me. And it was really strange because I was in my party years, and there would be times where I got to the physio appointment a little bit hungover, and I wouldn't feel the pain when I was hungover because my brain was elsewhere. Like I could do all these exercises hungover, maybe even still a little bit drunk, whereas other days it would be excruciating. Um, and it just didn't make sense. So this physiotherapist sent me for an MRI and that caught the sacroiliitis. And as soon as they saw that, they said, this was in 2013. So my first symptoms came on back when I was 16. How long ago was that? Please, I don't really want to know. Years, nine years. Back in 2007. Um, so this, I didn't get that MRI. I was okay for two years. Then I started getting the symptoms again. I didn't get that MRI till 2013. So at, then they saw sacroiliitis and I got referred straight to a rheumatologist and the diagnosis kind of got made then. So that was end of 2013 when I was diagnosed. Okay. I was still playing basketball at that point, but I, I used to be very athletic. I used to be up and down the floor. I used to be dunking and I just couldn't do that anymore because of the pain. And I had to change the way I played, which was kind of annoying, especially at my age. Um, it made me stop doing things at the gym that I really wanted to do. It did restrict me, but I didn't want to let it restrict me. So I just kept on going, dealt with the pain. It was excruciatingly painful, but hey, what could you do? Right. So I think I went through, in Australia, we go through kind of rounds of tests where we take a certain NSAID and then we have a report and we see if we've made any change and then we change NSAID. And if that doesn't make a difference, then we get qualified for the PBS, which allows us to get the anti-TNF drugs for a reasonable price. So that's kind of... That's the process that went down. So you were you were prescribed NSAIDs. I was prescribed NSAIDs. They didn't really work. Like they didn't work. Um, Which ones did you take? Which ones do you? Ibuprofen, and then the second one was Mobic, I believe. 
Um, again, that's me trying to remember. But that was three months on each, taking them every day. And then uh, three months later, they would check up and see what your bath scores were and see what your measurements were and see if they'd changed significantly. And they hadn't. So I did qualify for the TNF drugs, which meant I got a prescription sent in the mail and I got that. I went away to Laos, I believe. And when I came back from Laos, I was going to fill this out. So I went there for university. It's a fantastic place. I definitely recommend going there. Um, but so I came back and I'd done some research beforehand. I'd also, when I was younger, had an issue with my eye, which was optic neuritis. Um, and there's a chance that that develops into MS. I'm pretty happy now because I'm past 25 and that's not going to happen. But that's what I found from research was that with the anti-TNF drugs, it also increased your risk of demyelinating disease. So something like MS, if I did have any chance of getting it, it would have made it a big chance of getting it. And I kind of waited up and thought, look, I'd, I'd rather deal with pain than have to go through everything else. So I decided not to take the medications. And that's where I really started searching and looked for alternate measures. And this whole time I've been looking online, finding athletes and other people who have the condition AS. And that's the best thing I ever did because I found Ralph on his YouTube channel back when he kind of first started and was first discussing his diagnosis. And I followed him before the pro no starch diet. I followed him during the no starch diet. I followed him after the no starch diet and being able to see someone else go through that kind of process really helped me um, because I was able to see the difference that he made doing this. So yeah, I was diagnosed. I had the anti-TNF um, drugs prescribed to me and I decided not to take them. I followed the no starch diet, made me a bit better, but I'd still flare up every now and then and they'd be pretty bad flare ups. And then since then, since working with Ralph, since working with myself, um, working on myself and working on my flaws and my positives, just everything that I've done with Ralph has made me fine. Um, I've been symptom free for about a year and a bit now, probably even longer before two. Actually, we'll talk about this in a moment. I, uh, I was symptom free back in 2016. Unfortunately, that meant I was dunking again and I tore my ACL. So that put me back for about a year. And then I got back and a few other things happened in my life. And I went back into the same kind of spiral I was in before. So recently, I've only talked to Ralph. It would have been within the last year. I had six coaching sessions with him through Skype, and I've been fine since. I've been able to get back to basketball. I've been dunking. I've been deadlifting 140 kilos at the gym, which one of those physios said, don't ever deadlift in ever again because it will injure you back. I've been doing all these things, and it's fantastic. My knees get a bit sore because I did a good job when I did my ACL. My ankles get a bit sore because I've done a good job when I've done my ankles, but my back's been fantastic. And I can completely attribute that to the work that Ralph and myself have gone through. So reading different books, uh, the Winslow method, the um, other books, interviewing with Ralph really changed my life and changed my symptoms for the best. Okay. Um, I even went and met him probably last year around December and flew to America and met him in wow. New York and had some Shake Shack with him, which is fantastic. Had some what? Sorry. Shake Shack. We don't get that at this side of the globe. What is it? Uh, if you haven't heard of it, you need to get to New York and try it. It's a burger place and okay. definitely meet up with Ralph. He'll, he'll show you. Right, right, right. That's definitely not on the no starch diet. <laughs> yeah, no, definitely not. <laughs> right. 
Okay, that's a lot of information. Thank you so much. Um, uh, let's go back a little bit and uh, and go into like some details. Love to hear yep. more about um, what. Okay, so you tried out the no starch diet, and then yep. from there, you were always following Ralph throughout. Yep. So yep. once happened. you got diagnosed, you started. You looked him up. Yep, I looked up my athletes with AS and saw that he was a semi-professional boxer and just followed his YouTube channel. I followed a few other people, uh, surfers, trying to find basketball players, but there weren't too many. Uh, but Ralph was someone that I saw and I really related to. So I followed him and I followed his journey. Right. And at what point did you, did you contact him? How long after you'd been diagnosed? To be honest, I have no idea. Um, I think I started following him on YouTube. I might have followed him on Instagram, started chatting to him through there, became friends on Facebook. I'd have to look through my Facebook history right. to find out became friends because, look, oh. it's three or four years ago, maybe a little bit longer. Yeah. And when, Just under. So when did you start training with him? How long ago? Um, so training with him, I've been involved with a lot of the discussions that we've had. We've been talking, he's been helping me. He helped coach me before last year. So he helped talk me through these things. He introduced me to a lot of these resources, um, the Winslow method, the other resources that really helped me improve and really helped me push past. He introduced me to, I think it was Norman Cousins, um, who was the, I think he was a comedian or an actor who had the disease yeah. and found that laughter was the best medicine, lots of vitamin C, and he got himself better as well. And reading those kind of stories really helped me. Um, I think, yeah, so it's been a while since I've been talking to him, but recently last year, it would have been middle to late last year where I went backwards a little bit. I had a bit of a emotional turmoil and I got into the symptoms again. So I not specifically the AS symptoms. It was something more psychological. And I got on the phone to Ralph, talked to him, and he said, um, come and do some coaching with me. So I did some coaching with him. I think I'd, I would have had about six, maybe seven sessions, and I was great. I didn't need the seventh session, but I just wanted to have a chat because I was doing fantastic with the work he was doing with me. Again, I'd achieved remission before, so I was happy with where I was, but I did get knocked back. I came into those situations again. I talked to Ralph, and he's fixed me since. Okay. So it was a long process, and it's got its ups and downs, but right now I'm fantastic. Okay. And were you, tra were you working with him one-on-one, -on -one or was it in a group? Yeah, so most recently one-on-one. -on -one. Previously, I've been talking to him and discussing things through a group, um, but I am kind of lazy in that regard in that once I'm better, I kind of watch over the group. I see what's going on, but I don't inter do too much with it. Yeah. Um, but when I, am in, when I do have the symptoms, I do something about it, and that's when I was talking to him. So okay. that was pretty recent. Um, I have talked to, with groups. I've talked to other people, but Ralph was the one that really helped me through everything. Okay, okay. <laughs> um, what, what exactly, um, what exactly took place, um, with Ralph, maybe the first time when you said you first started communicating online, um, what were the things that you really had to learn? If you can break it down and remember. 
And so probably, yeah, from, I guess we could divide it into two, whereas the first kind of discussion I had with him was very physiological and really discussing, like, again, we talked before the no-starch diet, we talked during the no-starch diet, and then I found out he'd gotten off the no-starch diet. So I kind of, I watched that YouTube video, sent him a message and say, hey, I want to eat pizza, how can you help me out? And that <laughs> is a real thing that happened because I wasn't eating pizza. Um, I was cooking steak with all the pizza toppings on it because I couldn't eat carbohydrates all of the starch. So to be able to just eat whatever I want was fantastic or sounded like a fantastic idea. So I got in contact with him and he gave me all these resources and gave me all these books and it was a very physiological and biological process in that we were discussing how, again, I was anxious, but that was making my nervous system run at full speed all the time. So I was always in that sympathetic nervous system always a fight or flight and always doing something and I'll get through a meal in no time whatsoever. I'll inhale it. Um, but the reason the no starch diet was working was cause it wasn't digesting properly because my gut and immune system or my intestines weren't digesting the carbs and they become antibodies for the AS to attack. That's kind of the idea behind the no starch diet, but just slowing that down and, relaxing and easing myself not just the speed i'm eating food but that's more of a a metaphor for whole life in that just slowing down taking your time breathing relaxing and being in the now rather than worrying about eating all my food because my brother's going to eat it or because it's going (laughs) to get taken away or because i want to fill myself up with as much as i want to eat that and that's probably where it comes from is that i'm very competitive my brother's very competitive and I would usually have to eat everything, otherwise he'd take all the good stuff and I'd be left with the vegetables. <laughs> oh my so, gosh. And it's not as if, again, this is why I wanted to bring up the uh, middle-class family. It's not as if we were poor or anything like that. We had plenty of food, but I was always in this competitive environment and I was always thinking about what I could do next. And just being able to slow down, stop, breathe, smell the roses, that really changed and that made a huge effect for me getting better, so much more than the no-starch diet. So that was probably the primary thing that we learned. And again, I know coming from a physiotherapy background, I know all the biomechanics behind things. And the reason that it doesn't always work with ankylosing spondylitis is because it's not just biomechanical. Um, So the reason reason what doesn't always work with the exercises and often physiotherapists will get you doing exercises and exercise physiologists will get you doing exercises and they'll help because it's building the strength up, which supports the joints but unfortunately there's still inflammation and if the inflammation comes along as anyone knows with the disease you kind of stuff for a moment like not forever but you flare up you're sore you can't do the exercises so you're just in pain you can try and get into a hydrotherapy pool but that can be a little bit too sore as well if you do too much so it's not just about the biological area uh, the biomechanics and how the muscles are working it also comes down to the immune system and that's something regulated by the subconscious and by your nervous system. So to ignore that is ignoring the reason for the problem in the first place. So that's something that Ralph really helped me see. And again, when I talk about the professor of physiotherapy at Curtin University there, he talks a lot about that psychosocial effect as well and how it's not just about the bio, it's about the psychosocial as well. When you have a disease like AS or something specific like spondyloarthropathies, uh, spondylolisthesis, I'll go into all these technical terms, uh, but they talk about how it's biological and there's nothing you can do about it except these other 
kind of addressing the biomechanics. And this is why those back fusion surgeries don't work is that it's not just about the biomechanics and the 2% that those back surgeries work for, it's really because they're fixated on that biomechanical model. And once that's better, they didn't have too much psychosocial. Whereas what we really see in the industry is that people that fail these uh, things and get even worse drawn into that effect. So I guess I'm coming off tangent again. I'll do that a lot. Uh, but working with Ralph the first time was very biomechanical. He still did address these psychosocial issues. Um, but the second time I worked with him, it was mainly about the psychosocial. And we knew the biomechanics was fine because I'd been in remission before and I was doing everything right. We had to address that whole thing. And we had to address how my conscious was working and how my subconscious was working. And so how, how, did, he, how did he do it? Or how did, yes. what did he describe to you? Um, and, and just so people listening, you know, because, I mean, that's, I think that's what they're wondering, you know, like, and um, so that they can, they can hear and really take in what, what that process, proce- process was. Yeah. Look, it's not easy, and I don't want to give away any of his secrets, but I'm sure I won't because I've been fine for a good what is it now? April. I've been fine for a while, so I can't actually remember everything he went through, but I've got it written down somewhere. I haven't even had to revisit it because I've been that good. Um, but it really does come down to how the inner workings of your brain, um, the brain, the body follows the mind. And that's the first thing to take out of this in that whatever mind state you're in, even if you don't aren't aware of it. So it was completely subconscious. There's a bit of conscious in there as well, but a lot of it is subconscious and how the brain's working. And there's lots of books, the four agreements by, um, and all these other books that really talk about it. And you can read as much as you want, but to really be able to talk to someone one-on-one who's gone through all this and has learned all this, not by himself, but has gone through this process really helped me because I was able to see him from the start and he had similar experiences to me. When he went, talked about his YouTube videos, I could go back and say, Hey, that was me. Well, I remember being in that state and we went through the no starch diet and I think he did water purification and all these other things that were very extreme um, and were unnecessary because it really fixating on that and fixating on the diet really is problematic and that causes more issues because you're so wound up about not eating pasta or as if if there's kind of carbohydrates in your next meal are you going to be flared up and i've got another story about that in lao if you'd want to hear it but it's really amazing that it doesn't i it's probably good that i go through this story Let's sorry hear I'm it, man. yeah there's plenty of time there's <laughs> lots of time yeah so i was in lao back in my third year of physiotherapy. So that wouldn't have been too long ago, maybe 2014. And I was going through the no starch diet at this time. So I was in a country, it's a third world country. They eat lots of rice. You can imagine telling Lao people that you don't want rice with your meal. And they just look insane because all I was eating was meat and vegetables and no rice, all these other things I couldn't eat, but I was still eating fruit. So you're able to eat fruit if it's grown on the tree and it's ripened because the starch has turned into a sugar. Um, and that's what makes it so sweet. And that's why if you pick a banana early, it doesn't taste sweet at all. If, uh, what, same sorry? Thing, yeah. if you eat a banana off the tree while it's green, it doesn't taste that great because it's really starchy. Whereas once it's ripened, those starches turn into carbohydrate or sugars. And that's what gives you the sweetness. Same with apples, same with every fruit, basically any sweet fruit starts as a starch and it 
breaks down. I don't know the biochemistry behind it, but it breaks down into a sugar. Uh, So I went out one night and I love food. So I went to this ice cream bar and I got a banana split. And I'd I'd been fine since then because I hadn't had any starch. I was eating this banana split. It was amazing. I can't remember what was in it, but it was fantastic. But it had three different flavors of ice cream. I specifically asked not for peanuts. I got almonds. Uh, that was a choice I could make because peanuts are starchy. That's another thing you can't have. Mm. Uh, and the next day, and the person I was living with or I was with at the moment could probably attest to this. I couldn't get out of bed because I had sharp stabbing pains in my sacroiliac joint. And this was really frustrating because, look, there was a storm coming along, but there'd been a storm since we'd been there. I just couldn't see why. I'd followed this diet to a T. I'd made sure I'd had nothing with carbohydrates in it. And all of a sudden, I was struck down. I was limping. I couldn't walk properly because my sacroiliac joint locked up. So you're saying you got almonds instead of peanuts. So this dessert you had had absolutely no starch in it. I thought it didn't, but... The banana, so I thought the banana would be fine because I've had plenty of bananas before. It must have been sugar. Two days later, I was on the back of a tuk-tuk and I saw the bananas they were getting into the store were just put still green and they were picked off the tree and they didn't have time to ripen. So I had no awareness of it, but the banana that I ate had starch in it and that's why I was in that situation. So that's how sensitive I was to starch. If I had a small meal, it was a small dessert, it was a small banana, but I flared up. And it's incredible to see that not even knowing that there was starch in there, it gave my body a reaction because my body was so sensitive to that chemical that it flared me up. Nowadays, I'll eat rice by the bowl, I'll eat pasta by the bowl. We have a 22-inch pizza here in Perth and I'll be able to go through that. And it doesn't affect me because... It's not about me consciously thinking there's starch in that. It's a subconscious process, and your body is aware of what you're putting in, but it's also aware of the messages your brain is sending. And that sounds completely weird, and if anyone told me that a few years ago, I would have thought, yeah, I'll listen to that and I'll walk away. But it's completely true in that you are what you put out, and the body follows the mind. So the fact that I know I'm fine now means I can eat as many carbohydrates as I want and I can eat as much starch as I want. Whereas back in 2013, I had a small meal that had a little bit of starch in it and I was flared up and I didn't even know why because I'd been very careful until three days. Do you feel that's because you've got on top of the psychosocial uh, aspect so that your nervous system's calmed down, it can digest the food properly, everything? Yeah, Yeah, so definitely. I believe that is the cause because I I was on a bus to Kalgoorlie once and I was thinking, I'm starving. Kalgoorlie is about a six-hour drive east of Perth. If you ever come to Australia, it's not real too much reason to go to Perth, less reason to go to Kalgoorlie. Mm. Uh, but I'd say that Perth's a lovely place. I was on a six-hour <laughs> bus trip. I was really hungry, but I knew when we got to Kalgoorlie, all I had to eat would be pasta and some meat. And mm. I, I was reading about changing out of the no starch diet at this time and how to get rid of it. And this was the day that I thought, no, stuff it. I'm not going to worry about it. I'm going to eat all that pasta. I'm going to eat all these garlic breads. I'm going to be fine. And this might have been about three years ago now. And I was perfectly fine. Uh, Went out partying, came home. Next three days, I was on a bus for, it was eight hours each way. I was fine and I was eating lots of carbohydrates. And that was a year after being in Laos and not being able to touch them. I was able to eat this carbohydrate because I'd already changed how I perceived the disease 
and how my body was going to react. And that's how quick it took. It was less than a year that I was unable to eat a banana in Laos compared to eating plates of pasta in Kalgoorlie with yeah. no effects. Wow. So it's, it sounds weird, but it's an incredible change when you restrict your diet so hard to when you can eat whatever you want again. It's that's, fantastic. Yeah. Yeah, I, I experienced the same thing. I couldn't believe it when I was started eating eggs. Yeah. And I was like, eggs, are you sure I should eat eggs? And yeah. uh, I was working with Peter and, you know, he was yeah. the guy who wrote the Winslow Method. Yeah. Yeah. So you read his book. What did you take yeah. away from it? Look, this is a long, again, I was reading that on the bus to Kalgoorlie, really. Okay. Um, <laughs> and this is, look, this is going back years, four years. I'm, I've got <laughs> a lot of other things I need to read in that time, but yeah. it's... It is a very similar message. Um, I'm not going to say it's the same, but it's very similar. It's the power of the mind. And again, to look at, to read someone's book and know what he's been through, because you read the words and you can just identify that he's had these episodes and he has had this disease and he's been able to fix himself as well. Um, maybe not by himself. I've, I think I've, inter- I've talked to him once, but not too in depth. Um, but the way he was able to fix himself is fantastic. And reading his book was kind of the, one of the foundations of me getting out of that disease mindset and losing that disease label and being able to accept that I will be healthy and it's, it's a matter of time, but I can overcome this. And that was, so Peter was someone who also helped me get through that, which is fantastic. Um, and you look back I remember riding to work one day and thinking, look, I'd pay a large sum of money. I was thinking 10 grand to someone who could just magically cure me. And nowadays I've, I've still got 10 grand in the bank and I'm magically cured. So that's fantastic. <laughs> but it's, it's one of those things that to look back at where I was and having that sacroiliac joint stiffness and not being able to walk without someone feeling like someone's stabbing a sharp knife in your lower back to where I am now, where I'm, dunking i'm playing basketball i'm running around i'm doing everything in the gym and my back doesn't hurt one bit it's such a it's night and day um compared to when i had to stop because i i thought i was making myself worse now i'm never going to stop until i can't keep running that's my goal of it right so and yeah it's incredible to be able to see where i was so many years ago and even recently so Three years ago, four years ago, I was still getting symptoms. Now I'm fine. And it's, it's a huge difference to see where I was and where I was now. And again, we'll bring it back to your initial question. That's through working with Ralph and working through my subconscious and working through my perceptions and really going in depth and addressing who I am as a person, where, what I'm doing, where I am, and not thinking too much about the future. Again, one of the, my favorite phrases in this regard is, if you're worried about it, just think if you can change it. And if you can change it, you shouldn't be too worried about it because you can change it. If you're worried about it and you can't change it, you shouldn't worry about it because you can't change it. That's probably one of the best ways I summarize it to my patients now, is that if you can change it, fantastic. You can do something about it. You can do it, so stop worrying about it. If you can't change it, well, you know, that's how life is sometimes. You can't worry about it because there's nothing worrying about it's going to do, nothing you can do to help it. Mm. That's 
that's probably one of the things that I've taken out from my coaching and I use it in my clinic and I still discuss it with patients and I still refer them to coaches because it makes a huge difference and I've seen the difference it's made. Whereas go back five years, if someone was telling me this, I wouldn't be receptive of it at all. But to be able to see the uh, process that Ralph went through and all these other people went through is fantastic. Yeah, I, I can see that. I mean, if someone, if I was in a lot of pain and hadn't heard about any of this and then someone's like, hey, man, just don't worry, mm. <laughs> I feel like yeah. <laughs> you have no idea what you're talking about, like, you know, but you do because <laughs> yeah. you were there, now you're here. Yeah. You're not on any medication. Am I, am I right? Yeah, not on any medication. Right. There's no medication. Halfway. It's a bit stuffy. Right. That was about it. Yeah, yeah, of course. Yep. Oh, wow, man. What a... It's great to talk to someone, you know, I, I would talk to so many people with so much knowledge, and it's, it's great to hear someone who uh, has a great understanding of the body, obviously, with your, yeah. your background and everything. It's great to hear your explanations. Um, yeah. I mean, do, you have, do you have any idea, like, why you think... Uh, it's kind of a philosophical question, but why you think that... AS was uh, gifted to you. Do you believe it's a gift? Do you know why it came? Like, why you? Why? Why did you get it? And you know, do you think it's just? I guess when you look at the definition of the term, yes, it's a gift. Is it one that you'd rather not have? Definitely. Um, but it it definitely opened my eyes. Um, again, this is that's just reminded me. One of the things that I'd work with with Ralph the first time around was. I think the disease was part of everything I was carrying and all the emotions I was carrying. I was, as I mentioned earlier in the bio, I was a high achiever in primary school. Uh, I, I topped the class and then in high school, I kind of leveled off. I was still on the higher percentile, but I wasn't the top and I'm quite competitive. So that made me want to be the top. Same with basketball. I was the top kind of in the lower grade teams, but I'd try and crack the higher grade teams and I was very middle of the range, not that special and same thing in university so coming from somewhere where you're in the top percentile going to university where everyone's the top percentile I kind of felt my competitive nature got the best of me because I thought hey I should be much higher than I was but it was dragging me down as to how I was performing and it did really affect me in that regard and it kind of taught me that I shouldn't be putting these expectations on myself and I shouldn't be carrying all these burdens and having to think because I always kind of took it to heart and I wanted to prove people wrong and I wanted to prove other people that supported me right. So I wanted to prove these people that didn't like me wrong and I wanted to prove these people that thought I could do everything right. And I wanted to take that. I was always a yes man. If anyone, as soon as I got a call from work, I'd answer it. If they asked me to come in, I'd say, yes, I'll be right there. I was always saying yes to everything. And that's something else that, I got taught during my process with Ralph is it's fine to say no. If you really don't want to do something, you don't have to do it. Um, <laughs> it's, it's not yours. So that expectation, that burden that everyone had oh, that I gave myself because I thought everyone expected that of me really weighed me down. And I think that's what gave me the diagnosis in the first place or the disease in the first place was that expectation I put on myself um, thinking that that was what others put on me and now it's fantastic because even two weeks ago I had a patient come into the physio clinic and he was getting some hip pain and we treated it perfectly to a T 
Uh, we got him an injection. It was a bursitis, got him an injection, did the exact right ex- exercises, did everything right, but he still wasn't getting better. And we sat down and we talked about things and he was telling me how he didn't go for his recent walk because he was so worried that he'd walk out of the house and his neighbor would ask him to do something and he wouldn't be able to do it because of the pain. And that kind of clicked with me and that brought me back to where I was and I just kind of started talking to him about it. And it just came out that he was this kind of saying that he couldn't say no to these people because he felt like he had to. And I just questioned him the same way that Ralph would question, probably not the same way, but similar to how Ralph would question me. I just kind of said, why do you feel this way? What, what do you think they would say if you said no? And he was kind of like, oh, they wouldn't be too upset. And I said, well, why are you too worried about it? And it really clicked. And the last time I saw him, he was fantastic. He was off on a overseas holiday and he was really worried about this holiday because his hip was stuffed and we'd done everything right to get it better except talk to him and ask him what was bringing his emotions down and what was flaring it up and when I saw him last time he was fantastic and he's ready to fly away and he'll be fine I'll give him a call when he gets back but I have no doubt that he's going to be good and it was wasn't because we did something biomechanically it was addressing his expectations And again, that's the exact same position I was in where I put all these expectations on me that I thought were going to be implied by everyone else. But end of the day, you've got to be a little bit selfish sometimes. You've got to be a lot selfish other times and you've got to do what's right for you. And that's really, that's what, sorry, what you said. That's what diagnosis taught me essentially. Okay. Yeah. I was just curious about this guy. Like he, he doesn't have AS, um, yet the same principles um, helped him. Yep. Right. So I mean, it's not yeah. just like this is for what do you? What's your opinion on? Obviously, it's it, this stuff applies to everybody. It's healing in general. This is not just That's, for AS. We're taught that in uni nowadays. Um, it's not. It's not that far away because we are taught that it's not just about biomechanics. It's about the psycho element. It's about the social element. And saying psycho, it doesn't mean psychotic. It just means that your brain influences your body. And we're taught that at uni. But where they and where it still has to catch up is they also say, oh, but look, when you get specific diseases like ankylosing spondylitis or fibromyalgia or rheumatoid arthritis or all these other specific diseases, they even lump disc protrusion and radiculopathy in that kind of same category. And when you look at it, ankylosing spondylitis is so different. I'm sure it's different. Your experience with it was different to mine. I'm sure Ralph's different experience was different to mine. It's so broad-reaching and it's such a kind of global diagnosis. And I like to bring it back to sciatica. We don't use sciatica anymore because it's such a generic diagnosis. Like someone's got pain in their foot and they've also got pain in their back and it sounds nervy. Okay, you've got sciatica. It can have so many different kind of people with the same diagnosis can be completely different in their symptoms, but we still lump it together. And I think that's the problem is that we do have this focus on getting a label and that's something that the medical society and not just the medical society because they're doing fantastic work as well but it's something that society as a whole has put together and it's the same thing when I talk about if people are still listening that diagnosis I was given from that first physiotherapist who said my vertebrae had slipped I don't know if it was two mil or two centimeters probably two mil because two centimeters is a lot I heard that and I said yeah that's why I've got the pain because my back is out of place so he put that back in place and now I'm better 
but I wasn't. And he tried it again later on and it wasn't, but he still had that same diagnosis of, oh, your vertebrae is out of place. We should just be able to pop it back together and you'll be all good to go. Again, it doesn't work like that. The human body is so complicated and so complex. And when we look at MRI scans and all these other imaging, uh, get a bit nerdy here, but you get 20-year-olds with no back pain whatsoever. I think they had thousands in this one study and 20% of them had a disc protrusion. So these people had no back pain whatsoever, but 20% of the thousand participants had a disc protrusion. But that increases to when you look at 80-year-olds with no back pain whatsoever, 80% of them would have a disc protrusion. Same thing happens in the shoulder. You have a rotator cuff tear or a, uh, a labral pathology. It's pretty much the same. I think it's 60 to 65% where people have no shoulder pain compared to people who have shoulder pain. They're pretty equal in the numbers when we look at it into who's got pathology and who doesn't. Probably the best explanation of that is that when we look at rotator cuff tears surgically repaired, two years after a surgically repaired rotator cuff, I can't remember the number, but there is a significant amount of people who have no pain whatsoever after that repair that when you take an MRI, they've got a full thickness tear again. So the surgery literally to stick the tendon together hasn't worked and it's ripped back apart. But because the person's seen that something's been done and they've gone through the rehab and done all the right things, they feel it's better. And we see it all the time in the clinic in that people who expect something to work, more often than not, it will. If they have any doubt about it, it won't. And that's the same with physiotherapy. The leading reason for someone to get surgery over physiotherapy is because they think in an outcome measure that physiotherapy won't work for them. And that is the lead reason that they won't get physiotherapy. And again, I'm not saying physiotherapy is better than chiropractic or osteopathy or anything like that because it's about that and it's about expectations. And if I hadn't have seen Ralph go through this transformation, I don't know how long it would have taken me to get it because your expectations will change your outcome for better or for worse. And that is something that we see in the physiotherapy world, in the medical society all the time. And it's something that we don't address enough because it's the evidence and we have it quite clearly printed now. It just takes a little while to catch on. Wow. In saying wow. that, it's, been, it's nice to be ahead of the game because I'm working out of the clinic and I've got these patients that I am really helping. And you can tell who's going to benefit from it. It's a bit rude because I can kind of see patients that might not benefit from it enough and I still offer it to them and I still try and get them to buy in, but they don't have buy-in. And that's going to be the major problem is that they're not going to get better if they don't have buy-in. What do you mean buy-in? So if they don't believe it won't work, and again, I've got other patients who are a pure example of this. I, I know this patient's partner quite well, and she is very interested in this. Um, she went and saw All the Rage, which is a great film about Dr. John Sarno, who I also need to mention in this podcast because I read his book, and that was another thing that really got me over the line. I, met, I talked to the partner about John Sarno, and we watched this movie, and they, the partner was immersed in it and immersed in it and thought it was fantastic and saw everything and saw how much of a difference addressing the psychosocial factors could be. Whereas the patient wasn't interested. He kind of just got dragged along and it, it does make it difficult because I really can't see how you can get better if you aren't going to put that foot forward and really work with it. If you're really defensive about it and really closed minded of course, it's not going to help you. Oh, it, it, it might still help you, but it's going to take longer. Whereas if you are open and receptive to it, 
it just speeds that process up much quicker. I'm sure that, and again, Ralph is fantastic. I know other coaches out there are going to be fantastic and they will be able to crack that, but I'm a bit lazy. Um, that's why I'm working in private practice. I want people to come and see me because they want to get better. I don't want to be working in a hospital where people are there because they're unwell and they don't really want to see me. That's the reason I chose private practices. I am, I'm, I don't think I'm lazy in that regard, but I need the patient to be motivated as well for me to do something. And that means they have to come and see me and that means they have to pay me so that it shows that they're focused on getting better. And if they're not focused on getting better, the results aren't going to speak for themselves. It's going to take a lot longer for me to make an effect. And it's just so time consuming to work like that. Mm -hmm. I think that's one of the problems with healthcare at the moment. Again, there's always that way up, but because people people can be sick and it can actually benefit them. And even saying that sounds very rude, but saying I was sick and saying I had this disease and saying that my spine was arthritic and all these other things at my age, it did give me a bit of sympathy. I'm not going to lie. It didn't make me feel good, but it was still sympathy. And that's still an emotion that's going to improve and it's going to kind of re-kick these other things that say, hey, the reason I'm not dunking at the moment is because my spine's arthritic. That's why I can't jump up and dunk anymore. And it's great to hear of, but I haven't changed that arthritis and I'm back dunking no problem. It's one of those things that I'm not going to say there's benefits of a disease because the cons sure outweigh the pros, but having the disease sometimes gives you something to grip onto and it gives you a safety net to say, Hey, I didn't do this, but it's because of this. Whereas just eliminating that and giving it your all and saying, I gave it my all, although I didn't succeed, I did all I could. And that's the best I can do. And again, it comes back to that. You can't change it. So don't worry about it. Whereas I was really holding onto that. And I was saying, no, the reason I can't do this is because my spine's degrading and it's degenerative and all these things. And that just reinforces that bad pattern. Yeah. Well, let's, so, talk, let's talk about um, Sarno. Yeah. So I read his book. Um, I think I got access to it. I'm this is John, not- John Sarno. Sorry, just so yeah. everyone knows. John Sarno. Go on. Yeah. So Dr. John Sarno, I got access to his book. Um, what was the book? Uh, Healing Back Pain. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, so I got access to that and I read it. Now, I did get access through someone else, so I didn't pay for the book myself. And I thought it was life-changing and it was amazing and it's something that I could give to my patients as well, that if they had any doubts or any kind of concern in their mind, I could say, look, this is how I got fixed myself. Have this book, give it back to me because I need to give it to other people, but it's fantastic. So I ordered quite a few copies online because I wanted to be able to kind of show people this book and have spares on hand to say, this is kind of a Bible in this regard. And this really changed my life. Um, I went and saw all the rage, which was a movie regarding Dr. John Sarno. Um, and it, it was incredible. It gives you goosebumps to see someone going through that kind of process and being treated the same way you are. And again, I'll bring it back to myself. He also had a remission. I've just spoiled the movie there. Um, and to, to kind of get that treatment again and look, it's the exact same thing that I went through when I was getting treated the second time that I got a bit of a stiff back while I was getting treated by Ralph. And I said, no, I don't, that's fine. But I'm, I don't have this pain anymore. And just knowing that, again, it's not about just saying it, it's knowing it and being able to experience it before helped me get rid of it. That, that has 
prompted me there. That was something else that really helped me remiss, get into remission the first time is that there were times, and again, as I say, I was hung over days and I could play basketball and I could run around and I had no pain because I had a bit of a headache and I wasn't really thinking straight. To be able to take snapshots of me still being able to dunk while I was going through this process of getting diagnosed and me still being able to run while I didn't have pain, let me know that, hey, it's not all doom and gloom. Like I was in this same position back in this year and I had no pain. So I had no pain then, I'm going to have no pain again. And having that knowledge and having that assurance and reassurance in me really gave me that ability to get over the disease. And that helped me at those times where I'd have the occasional flare up. I'd look back and say, you know what, I've been in remission before, I'll be in remission again. And it instantaneous in that the back pain would be there. I'd think about that, I'd walk off and be gone. It was very quick that that happened. And again, that's kind of what happened with the Dr. John Sarno and the person he was talking to in the movie. He got better. He kind of ignored it. He dropped away from the kind of whole context in the society because he was better and he didn't have to be involved in that kind of thing. And that's why I withdrew from the ankylosing spondylitis groups of Australia is because everyone there is kind of competing with each other and talking about their disease and how destructive it is. And it's a good premise in that it's supportive and it wants to be uplifting, but at some points it becomes regressive and it's really a, I'm not going to say pissing contest, but I just did in that it's about who's got the worst condition and who's in the worst situation. And when you start to see comments like that, it's not conductive because you want to be there. And I know I needed people to be there for me. And I had a great group of support when I was going through this diagnosis you want people to be there for you, but it needs to be uplifting and it doesn't need to be anything downlifting. And again, he walked away from that kind of environment and he left Dr. John Sarno. And when the symptoms came back, he went back and he was better again. Um, and to be able to see that on film is amazing because you're seeing all these people that went through a very similar issue to you. He might have not have had ankylosing spondylitis, but that was kind of my process as well in that I got worse and I'd jump around, get better. There were days that probably the day that I remember most and was one morning I woke up next to my ex-girlfriend and I just couldn't move. My sacroiliac joint was locked up. I felt like someone had a knife right in me just as I woke up. And look, I, I was crying because it was that painful and I just couldn't move out of bed. And I'm a, I was a young 21 year old, should have been on top of my, on top of the world. I couldn't get out of bed because of this back pain. So I had my girlfriend at the time ran off, grabbed some Nurofen, gave it to me. I had some Nurofen. About 15 minutes later, I could finally move out of bed and get walking because the Nurofen did help on some days. And it's amazing to be in that position. And again, I, I don't know if Ralph still has the video up. I don't think he does, but he used to talk about days where he'd been with a walking stick and he wouldn't be able to sit down and all these other things. And to look at a day where I experienced it and I was lying in bed and I was just couldn't move and it was excruciating pain. I just couldn't move. And to take some anti-inflammatories, I could get up and moving. I didn't want to be in that state. It's a very depressing and debilitating position. Uh, it's very, you're very susceptible. You're very, it's, I don't know, we're not designed to be, we're not, we haven't evolved to be in that position where we can lie in bed and just have this sharp pain that debilitates us. But now I can't even kind of comprehend what I'd do in that situation because I haven't had that situation since. Um, even with my ACL, I could move around with that. I was in a brace, but 
I could move around with it and it was sore, but I could walk. Whereas when I had the AS diagnosis, there would be mornings where I couldn't move because it felt like someone had a knife in my sacroiliac joint. So yeah, it's amazing to see movies like that. And Dr. John Sano's teaching, it's, it's very much what you get when you talk to people like me, people like you, people like Ralph, you get a very similar story. Um, and they're all different, but they have these same kind of principles behind them in that there's so much deeper than just what we think is a specific disease like ankylosing spondylitis. And if you take these medications that stop your immune system from working properly, it'll calm the autoimmune disease. Or if you stop eating starch, it'll stop the bacteria from developing an immune disease and all these crazy things that you think about it. And you just think the body follows the mind. And if you're in the right place and if you are in the right situation and if you think the right things, not even think the right things, but be the right things, you're fine. It's, it's a bad time, but bad times move on and it's not all doom and gloom. So I guess that's a very poor summary of what everyone here does. Uh, it's really the case that things happen and it's very unfortunate and it's how you respond to that that shows what kind of, not what kind of person you are, but how you're going to improve is really your response to the bad times. Is that how would you describe? Have you read uh, Bruce Lipton's uh, Biology of Belief? Did you read that one? That was that was the other one I read on the way to Kalgoorlie. So yeah. Oh wow. Um, okay, and that's all about changing your environment. Yep. Can you speak a bit about that and what you learned about that? Look again. Four years ago, I can remember a bit of the Winslow. I, I, I've watched Bruce Lipton on YouTube. I've watched some of these things and the. Epigenetics, I believe that's the whole kind of concept of that book. Um, Again, it goes much deeper than that. But I also, being a physiotherapist, I follow other physiotherapists on Twitter, and there's people in this field that are amazing minds. Again, I've taken another tangent, but I'm going to. Um, There are amazing minds in this field that talk about kind of shoulders and how we can manipulate the shoulder into being in, not by doing any special test or doing any secret kind of thing. It's as simple as if you grab something, the rotator cuff switches on. So if you grab something and lift, if you need the rotator cuff to switch on, it'll improve your symptoms. Um, I'm telling some cheats of kind of my profession here, but there's small things that we can do that just activate muscles in different ways, which can relieve pain. Wait, can we go over that again? What did you say? What was that? I, I still need so I can't go through it too much. <laughs> Basically, there's a condition with your rotator cuff, and you can have a rotator cuff tear, as I mentioned earlier, and it's not actually the end of the world. Um, what The rotator cuff's amazing, and there's lots of muscles that insert into a central tendon, and it's all about getting these muscles to work properly. Sometimes what we see is the uh, head of the humerus. I'm using a lot of hands here. People might not be able to see it the head of your humerus can slightly move forward a little bit. And this can give some people some pinching as they're trying to move their arm over their head. Sometimes, and I can't use this as an advice because depending on where you are in your condition and what's going on, it may make it better. It may make it worse. It's a test we use. We're holding onto something, just that gripping, you need to switch on your rotator cuff to grip something because it stabilizes it. Just to get that muscle switched on a little bit before you do the movement, that can take the movement away 100%. And if that test is positive and it's 100% positive, all we do is give an exercise that helps engage that muscle a bit more, and that can cure shoulder pain. 
Mm. Even though you've got a tear through the muscle or the tendon and you've got some bursitis there, which is on most people's shoulders, 60% of people have a mild bursitis, 60% are maybe 60-year-olds have a mild bursitis in the front of their shoulder. And that's something that people see and say, let's slip a cortisone in that and see how it goes. And some people get better and some people get worse. And I don't accept that. But it can really change the symptoms very quickly. Um, So, yeah, I've got, again, big tangent. There are people that I follow in the physio world that develop that. And there are people in the physio world that talk about that and do all these extreme things of fantastic physiotherapists and talk about the biopsychosocial model. And they laugh at epigenetics because it just looks like something silly. It, It looks like... Like, how crazy is that? You can change your DNA. That doesn't work. Um, But I think for me, and that's where I see myself as having, as I say, I'm nowhere near these physiotherapists' regard, but being able to accept that belief and know that you can change your environment and change your body's biochemistry by changing that environment does help me and does help me produce that to patients and talk about, hey, this is kind of the person that talks about epigenetics here, and it really does make a difference. Being able to know that, whereas I know academics in my field that have kind of pushed that idea aside as crazy, does give me a leverage because I've been able to see the difference that it makes. And I've talked to other patients about epigenetics and they've brought up, it's not been me that's brought up Bruce, it's been my patient that has. And we've discussed it at length about how it really does make a difference. And it just makes sense when you think about it. It's it's all what we're taught at university, essentially, and we always pick and choose things that we agree with or things that we don't agree with. We don't do it consciously. We do that subconsciously. And that's, that's probably my best summary of that is that we pick and choose what we want to believe and what we don't want to believe. So there's lots of things I still have to learn that are right in front of me, but it'll come to me if I need it. And so that, that would be how someone would change their environment by changing their beliefs. Is that in your opinion, or how how would someone change their environment? You can change your perception. Uh, it depends. It depends on the environment as well. Um, if it's dangerous for you, there's a reason that your body's reacting this way. So if it's that dangerous, uh, again, I do as I say, not as I do. You need to jump out of that environment. And I've been in toxic environments before, usually work, um, pretty much always work. And it's one of those things that if it's damaging and if it's affecting you you need to change something and that means get out you need to get out if you can't get out you need to change your perception and you need to change something and again i'll draw it back to what i said earlier i hope everyone's still listening if you can change it you shouldn't be worried about it and if you can't change it you shouldn't be worried about it because worrying about it's not going to make a difference but if you can change it we're not ignoring that if you can change it you need to do something about it and you need to address it Otherwise, you're going to be stuck in the same situation and you can't blame anyone else because that's what I was doing is I was blaming this disease for not being able to do what I wanted to do, whereas it was a way of me scapegoating and saying, I can't do that because I've got this. It's not that, it's not that simple. It's, that's my subconscious saying, hey, here's a protective mechanism. This is what we can use. And again, it's not protective. It's not protective to be unable to move out of bed, but the brain's a bit complicated in that why it's a great explanation thank you it is man uh and i think there would be still some people listening there's still some folks out there <laughs> um thank you. yeah i 
Jeez, man. I think we've covered so much. Um, is there anything that you feel we left out that you'd like to include? Probably, but I can't remember it right now. Um, I can even up there, but yeah, I think I think we've covered it all. I've covered most of what I wanted to talk about. In that, I was using the disease as a scapegoat at some points. There were days where I couldn't wake up out of bed because it felt like there's someone had a knife in my sacroiliac joint. Um, I was always, I always thought I was above addressing my mental beliefs, and I think that's probably the most important thing. Is that. And that's why I started with that discussion. I didn't have any serious family drama. I've had quite an easy life, as I'd put it. Like Again, I've had some stresses, but nothing compared to other people. But that's something else is that you can't compare yourself to other people and you can't compare your stresses to someone else's stresses. It's your life. You need to address yourself. And if you can change it, you can. If you can't, you can't. But I came from a very well-off background. I was never really poor, never rich, but pretty much in the middle. I was always, my brother would fight me for food, but we had plenty of food. So it was more a competitive thing. I came from a fantastic background. I didn't have any of these kind of mental diseases or anything like that, that I thought of, but I was a very anxious person. And I had events in my life that occurred that increased my anxiety. And um, to the point where Perth's a magnificent place for the beaches, even more so out of Perth. It's great surf. I went surfing one day, came back, couldn't find my bag that I put my keys in. I asked my friend and he said, oh, some guy, no, someone else said, oh, someone walked off with that bag earlier. So I went out surfing, came back about an hour later and my car was gone. And things like that really affect you and really kind of make you defensive and I'm always at the beach now again it might be a bit protective so I can drive home later on I'm always looking for my bag and making sure my keys are still safe because you don't want that to happen again and there's a point where that's protective but there's a point where it's unprotective so if I'm checking the locks on my house to make sure that no one can break in it's me being a bit overzealous and over anxious and if I'm turning around to make sure I double check the works uh, are locked up properly at work I'm being too excessive. And that's something that I really changed is that I had to do what I could do and live in the moment and not worry about what could happen or what couldn't happen or what would, what the world would end or something terrible would happen if I didn't do this thing. I just had to do the best that I could and go from there. And no expectations on top of that. No, this is what's going to happen if I don't do this. This is what's going to happen if I do do this. I just have to live in the moment make my decisions, live with it, and just be aware that I've done the best that I can. And that's really kind of something else that really changed me. I'm sorry, Ralph, I'm spilling all these secrets, but <laughs> something that really changed me and made me change. Yeah, it made such an impact on my life. And being able to see people like Ralph um, go through this process and seeing him from the start, again, he's since deleted a lot of those old YouTube videos. They're ingrained in my head. Um, I could probably rewrite every word because I would watch them and I would religiously look at what he was doing. He taught me how to iodine test for starches. He probably... (laughs) Yeah, I've seen that. I saw that video. So, and yeah, and being able to see that and then seeing the transition that he was fine he was completely fine. And I was saying, yeah, what's up with this? And I didn't tell him about the, I'd pay 10 grand if someone could tell me how to get rid of this disease, because look, I've now got 10 grand sitting in my bank and I might buy him something one day. But yeah, so I was so thankful that when I went, I went on a holiday to New York and I went and met him. Um, There's pictures on my Instagram page of me going to meet this stranger in New York. And we out the front of Shake Shack because 
he's a fantastic person and he did so much for me that again, I wanted to go see New York as well, but I needed to make sure that I went and thanked him in person. And that's a long flight. That's 25 hours from here. So I really, I really am appreciative of everything he's done and I can't recommend what he's done enough. And I still recommend coaches that he's taught to go see them because bringing it back to me and I don't tell everyone in the clinic, but I tell people, patient, my patients, look, this is my story. This is how I got better. I think it will help you right now. And that's kind of how I come about it because I know it makes a difference. And I a hundred percent stand by what he's done for me. And then it's a new outlook on life. Really. It's not being disabled. It's knowing that you're going to be okay. It's knowing that you, it's taking it, taking control of your life again and taking control of everything that you can do and living for yourself and living your best life really. And it's just incredible being able to do that. It's, I'm sure everyone would appreciate it. And I'm sure if I could tell myself seven years ago, I'd be a little bit more violent and I'd shake it into his head that you just need to do this right now. And mm. another, um, another person that I've met said I should go meditate, that I'm a busy person. And he said, I should go meditate for 10 minutes. And I said, I don't have 10 minutes for that. And he said, I should go meditate for two hours. And that's something else that stuck with me because Again, that was bef- that was when I was first getting the pain, and this was just a stranger at the bottle shop I was working at said, "You need to go meditate because you're really tense and you're really doing all this stuff." And telling a tense person to go meditate, you can probably imagine what I kind of thought about that. Looking back, he didn't have any training, but he was completely right in that I needed to calm down, I needed to slow down, I needed to breathe, and I needed to live in the moment. And that's something that one that second physiotherapist I saw. He told me that and I respect him completely and I was trying to, but I wasn't ready for that. And again, some people aren't ready for that. And it's hard because I'm judging people on the basis that I'm not going to tell them about my history because they're not ready to hear it and they're not ready to change themselves. And I know because I was in that same situation that I thought everything was going pretty cruisy. I thought my life was a holiday and I'm very blessed and very well off, but Again, it, can, it happens to everyone and everyone has these kind of environments and everyone has these kind of emotions and we need to address it and it can make a huge difference. Yeah. I'd just like to say, like you were saying that, you know, you felt like, oh, sh- oh man, you're giving away a lot of uh, Ralph's secrets or whatever. And I get that. One thing I've noticed, though, is that there are some people and I've interviewed some of them that they've just read the stuff, the posts, like you were doing. That's it. Yep. That's all. They didn't talk to anyone. They just read posts. Yep. And yep. They, they're better. Yep. And then other people, you know, they need, you know, it helps to make a call and talk, talk to someone who knows more like you did with Ralph. Yeah. And yeah. Again, I was talking to him as a friendly basis initially, and I was on the way. And it's, it's really a process. Sorry, I interrupted you, but it's a process and not everyone's at the same starting line. Not everyone's at the same position in the race. And is there a finish line? No, it's a process. Um, you can't just say I'm better, but I'm still learning as a human being. And again, we go back to the gift of AS. It's helped me realize that the end goal, it's, it's more about the journey. And you can't really say, there's the finish line, I've crossed the finish line, I'm done, my life is happy, there we go. It's a process and you're going to have good days, you're going to have bad days, but it's how you respond to that. And again, being competitive, I always want to get 
first in, best dressed, and I always want to be that first person. And if I could read one post and it changed my life, I would have been very happy. But it, it's a process, and that's not a, it's not as easy as that for some people. And I know because I had to go through this, and I've been through it again because I had different things come up. But there is an there is an answer. Sorry, I interrupted you. Keep talking about the yeah, <laughs> how no, people. No, 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 man. Uh, this is. Uh, I want to hear what you have to say. I mean, yeah. I. I will say, though, for those folks that maybe feel a lot of resistance to all these ideas, that it, although it is a, a process and it takes a lot, I think you'd agree, too, Ashley, that it's far easier than you may think. Yeah. And, and yeah, it might take some time and some adjustments, but, my God, yeah. it's so much easier than, say, laying in bed with a knife, stabbing into yeah. your sacroiliac joint and not being yeah. able to do anything and... Yeah, a hundred percent. They're like, they you've got nothing to lose in that regard. Um, I, I'm living best life. I've got no pain. Again, I have bad days. I have good days. I've had um, problems recently, but I've been fine. And again, it's it's about your mindset at one point. And as I say, I won't. We'll take it away from the coaching and we'll put it into spec perspective. If you think a surgery is going to work, it's going to work. And if you don't think a surgery is going to work, just the slightest chance it's not going to work well because that's what the evidence says about surgery now. Not all surgeries. Again, I don't want to make it sound like I'm bagging out all orthopedic surgeons. I had an orthopedic surgeon fix my knee. I've had one look at my ankles because I've had a lot of injuries through basketball. But when you look at surgery, when you look at physiotherapy, when you look at chiropractic, it's because you believe this thing will work is part of it. It's not going to fix you. It's not going to say – you can't just click your heels together three times and say you wish you were in Kansas and you'll be in Kansas. I'm not sure how that movie goes. I've never seen it. <laughs> um, but it's one of those things that you've got to be acceptive and you've got to be receptive and you've got to open your mind because, as I say, um, I bring it back to that guy that told me I need to meditate for 10 minutes. And I said, I don't have time for that. So he told me to meditate for two hours instead. And that sounds like a very good Buddhist saying because that's the state I was in. That's the position I was in in life in that I didn't think I had time to slow down. I needed to be rush, rush, rush. I needed to get all these things done. I needed to be on top of the world. It's okay to take a step back and it's okay to say something's not right and I need to make a change. And if you're not willing to change it, that's fine, but you can't let it stop. You can't blame it for restricting you if you're not going to do anything about it. And if you can't do anything about it, you shouldn't be worried about it. If you are still worried about it, there's something you can do about it. <laughs> so, um, again, I've, I've paid for Ralph's services. I, I talked to him earlier on, but now I've paid for Ralph's services since because it's one of those things, and he, he might discuss it as well. Being from that situation, and I'm the same in the physio clinic, if someone comes and sees me, they need to value my time and they need to value my service. But I also need to value my time and I also need to value my service because if I'm giving everything out for free, I'm going to be, well, at the moment I'm house sitting, but I'll be out in the street because uh, you can't just give things away for free because people aren't going to listen. And again, when I talk about healthcare, I'm not going to work in a hospital where people come in, don't have to pay for treatment, don't want to see me, have to see me, don't do anything I say and don't get better because it just looks bad on me, looks bad on everyone. Whereas if people are making an effort and people have to put an effort and again, it's one of those things when I was younger I didn't do my physio exercises because I wasn't paying for the treatments whereas when I started paying for my treatments I made sure I did my physio exercises because I was paying for it and if I didn't I'd have to pay more money it's one of those tricky 
situations that I'm in the same boat in that if someone doesn't value my time, it's, it's not worth it. Yeah. And I've got to value my time as well. You've got to be selfish and you've got to say, no, this is my, these are my barriers and this is how it goes. And again, sometimes you've got to do that. And if people are too receptive and say, no, nah, you need to change that, that's not a good environment. Mm. So you need to be able to say no. And I bring that, if, if people who were a bit iffy about seeing Ralph, I said it about probably 20, 25 minutes ago, maybe even longer. If you, you need to be able to say no and you need to be selfish at times. Um, and that's kind of the way life is. And sometimes it can't and you've got to have your perspective. And if you can change that, change it. If you can't, you need to change your perspective on it. But it's not healthy um, to just say yes, because that's the burden I had. And that's why AS came into my life, because I was carrying everyone else's expectations and my own expectations. So. Yeah. Beautiful, man. Yep. <laughs> Thank you so much. That's uh, all right. Yeah. I- um, I think, I think we've covered everything. I mean, if anyone has any other questions, I can plug my Instagram page. I can plug my Facebook. I'm happy to answer any questions because again, I've been through it and I, I do want to help people. I'm probably not going to answer a question at 1am in the morning because I'm trying to sleep, but <laughs> if I can, I will. If I can't, it's probably not, no offense. It's just, I didn't see it or I've been quite busy. I do want to help other people as well. So I'm happy to leave details if people want to contact me my name is Ashley Flynn uh, if I see heaps of messages in my Facebook account I'll try and get back to them but yeah I've been through the experience I've seen people go through the experience I've seen the difference from someone else and from myself and it makes a huge difference yeah so um, I'll put in in the description all your information if that's okay I'll I'll get the links from you and I'll put that in there yeah. Yeah. And uh, and you said like you're interested in, in helping other people. I mean, with your background physiotherapy and what you've been through with Ralph. I mean, yep. Have you ever thought like maybe you know coaching some folks with maybe in the future? Uh, or does that have an interest to you, or you're you're great with the path you're on? Future, yes. Um, but right now, again, I'm probably in the same position I was with the hospital in that it is hard work. I'd love to do it. But I understand my limitations in that sometimes my personality is that I can wake up and just be like, look, this is what I want to do today. I like we do a lot more coaching nowadays from a physiotherapy point of view in that. And again, this is I'll bring it back to the professor that works at the Curtin University. He recently said he doesn't treat people as much as he coaches them. Uh, so and this is the thing that physiotherapy is trying to move towards that way as well, is that look, I can try and put your back in because it's two millimeters out, but you're probably going to come back in with the same problem because if it's slipping two millimeters out, it's a biomechanical problem. And I'm full of ish there in that it's not a biomechanical problem. It's something that you can address and you can strengthen exercise. You can do some strengthening exercises to prevent it, but it might not just be in the body and it might not be the biomechanics. It might be your kind of perception that your back's two millimeters out, which is causing you to think that. And sometimes it feels like your back's out and sometimes it feels like your hips out and it feels like these things are out because of the way the muscles are reacting, but the body follows the mind. And it's not to say that if you have pain, it's just in your head or if you have pain, you just need to think yourself out of it. It wasn't that easy. It's not that easy. I didn't do that. I wish I could have done that, but I didn't. But I'm at the point now where if I do get pain, 
it's acceptable and I know why it's happened. My knee got sore the other day because I hadn't done any exercise for two weeks and tried to play a game of basketball. All of a sudden, I can't bend my knee properly. Doesn't take a physiotherapist to work that out. Um, I also got to the game probably three minutes late, so I didn't warm up. Um, I hope none of my patients listen to this. So it's one of those, but it's, you, it's not just about the mind and I do want to become a coach and I feel that I am partly a coach, but I do like the work I'm doing at the moment. I'm very busy. I work with basketball teams. I, I'm all over the place at the moment and I'd love for one day to be able to help and to be able to coach people through this. But personally, right now, I'm probably not ready to do that. So I'm yeah. not going to expose myself to that situation, but yeah. I'd love well, it sounds like you're you're already getting the the training for it anyway. I mean, you're you're coaching people in the same way with other issues, and it's all the same issue really when it comes down to it. Different symptoms, same issues. Yes, yeah. it's humanity, same it's life. Just symptoms. Yeah, <laughs> it's again. We talk about disprotrusions. We talk about sciatica. We still use that word. It's a bogus word because it it can mean a lot of different things. Uh, it can mean a lot of different symptoms. It it means the same thing. Sorry, I'm wrong there. It means you got nerve pain down your leg. Um, and that's a pretty broad statement. So same thing with arthritis, sp uh, spondyloarthropathy, ankylosing spondylitis, psoriatic arthritis, rheumatoid arthritis, all these labels that we put on things. It's, we complicate it. We try and simplify it and it's complicated and just accepting that it's complicated makes it a lot more simple. Oh, oh man. Yeah. Oh, I think we did it, man. I think we achieved the goal. You passed yeah. on so much information, man. You're really you're a you're a brilliant resource, and and uh, you know I think you're, I think you've already with this I think helped a lot of people, and I know yeah. you've helped some people for sure. And there's no telling how long this will be out there. So yeah, I sound very colloquial for a physiotherapist, I guess, but <laughs> it, it's it's life. I'm a human being. I'm a person, and I've been through this. So I'm just going to say it how I say it, and yeah. this is what is the case and i'm sorry it doesn't come along too professional but it's it's my experience and that's all i can draw well layman's terms are, are great it applies to everybody and you know there's going to be people in in other countries listening to this where english yeah. is their second language and they don't know yeah. Yeah. you know like so I, and i need and i i'm not a physiotherapist so i need yeah. layman's terms yeah and i get a bit complicated at places because it's just the way I work, but and sorry for my Australian accent and any of my Australianisms that fell in. Uh, I don't think about it, but I see some reactions when I talk, and I realize they're probably not from Australia and don't know what the hell I just said. But. Yeah, yeah, there's a couple of expressions, but man, that, that's that's what makes you you or a part of you, yeah. your personality, and it's a beautiful thing. Yeah, you know, I love meeting people from other places. It's amazing. So yeah, it's incredible. Can't wait to go traveling again. Yeah, me too, brother. Me too. Um, yeah, so thank you so much, and thank you to everyone who are listening, and uh, have a great day or great night to everybody, and bye-bye. Yeah. Uh, thank you. Okay, everybody, I just spent like an hour racking my brain trying to figure out uh, the next name for the podcast. I haven't ever really been happy with the name of the podcast. I think it was a really... Um, uh, practical name that would catch people's attention who I believed would identify with some of the topics that we discussed. Uh, and really, it didn't quite capture, I guess, 
I just didn't think it was really exciting. And it's cool. It's all right. But I think I'm way more excited about calling it AS as a guide podcast. So that'd be AS, AS, a guide, ankylosing spondylitis as a guide. So it's a guiding force. Uh, and it can be looked at that way. And that ultimately really helped me out in getting better. It really opened up the possibility that I can appreciate and accept uh, what's going on in my life and in the present moment and trust it and just know that it's, it's okay. Uh, that was a that was huge turning point for me. So I think what, for a short name that that can describe that, I think it's perfect. So we're going to go with that. All right. Bye-bye. And so uh, keep an eye out, I guess, for, for that new name because I, I don't know how that's going to affect everyone's uh, subscription or – or uh, you trying to find the podcast. I really value um, everyone that's listening. I see there's a consistent number of people that are tuning in. And so that's incredible. And it really makes, uh, you know, well, you know, keeps me motivated to pr produce these episodes. So uh, thank you so much for listening. And keep a close eye out because I'll be changing in the near future, like in the next I don't know how long, but soon. Uh, all the best, guys. Bye-bye. The text and audio files contained in this program are for information use only. It is not meant to treat, cure, diagnose any medical health condition you may or may not have. For medical advice and treatment, please speak to a medical health professional.